As you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Twenty-one days of purpose. Uh, it's very much our theme, as I said, not just for this month, not even just for this year, uh, but for literally moving forward from here, from the rest of our lives. Because purpose is a lifetime thing. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Purpose is not about one single event. It's about your whole lifetime moving forward, fulfilling the purpose for what it is that God created you to fulfill. And it is a journey. It's a lifetime journey. And as I said, it's an ongoing process. And part of that process is our growth. That's part of our process. It's an important part of the process. And that growth really is all about becoming more Christ-like. It's about becoming more Christ-like. As Christians, that's what we're required to do. It's, it's literally uh, what sets us apart from everybody else. Now, part of that process of becoming Christ-like is what's called sanctification. And it's probably a word that you've heard lots of times, and uh, I know we speak about it from the pulpit and we mention it, uh, but not everybody knows everything about that sanctification and what sanctification actually means for us. So this evening, I'm going to be covering that topic, and tonight is 100% teaching. There's not going to be any preaching tonight. It's going to be 100% teaching. All right, lots of powerful, powerful information. But I believe, no, it's not going to be a, a, a preached message. It's going to be a taught message. Even with that being said, I believe that lives are going to get changed this evening. Amen. Because it's about perspective. It's about when we know, when we are armed with knowledge, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Okay? The truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. And so we need to know what that truth is. Not generally, but specifically. So I'm going to be teaching tonight, as I said, on sanctification. Because I believe there are very many people who don't know what sanctification is, okay? Uh, Phrases like sanctification, justification, consecration, holiness. These are all things that are spoken about from the pulpit, uh, but they're not necessarily taught in detail. Being free from sin. What, What does that mean? What does that even mean? So I believe there's a massive number of people who are living right now in a permanent state of condemnation and guilt. I believe that. I believe there are a lot of Christians right now who are carrying a burden of guilt and concern and worry. And I'll tell you why. It's because they may be under the impression that once we are saved, we are supposed to be perfect. Once you are saved, you are supposed to be perfect. And I'll go one step further. There are some people who believe that once you are saved, the actual salvation experience makes you perfect. So by being saved, you are suddenly, we talk about being washed clean, we talk about your sins being, and that's all true, and I'm going to cover that in detail in a moment. But there are people who believe that at the point of salvation, they are supposed to be perfect. So what happens the next morning, when they're not perfect, they start to question, am I actually saved? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a burden for some people because they're going through life not feeling and not being what they believe they're supposed to be. So I'm going to cover this, as I said, uh, in detail. Now, there's the other end of the scale. I believe there's a great number of people who uh, go on through their life thinking everything is fine and dandy, everything is great, they said a quick prayer, and now they can do absolutely whatever it is that they want to do for the rest of their life without any fear of condemnation or judgment or anything of that kind. They don't have any conviction of the Holy Spirit. They just are literally doing what they want to do when they want to do it. And they are literally, as I said, living that lifestyle without that fear. So I believe that that's... Someone's on Periscope. I believe that that is at the other... That's all right, Pastor, as it's you. Okay, so... (laughs) All right, so as I said, there are people who are going through their lives without feeling any form of condemnation or without feeling any form of conviction, which is a different thing. And there are a whole bunch of people who are going through the motions, who are doing on the outside what they think a Christian should do because it's what Christians do. They are not doing what Christians do because they are led from the inside out to be a Christian. They are doing what they feel is the right thing to conform to Christianity. Now, there are absolutely certain things that we do as Christians, and there are certain things that we don't do as Christians, but the reason we do them, or the reason we don't do them, needs to be because we are a Christian, not because it's what Christians do or don't do. Does that make sense? So, you can call it cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is literally conforming to what you think a Christian should look like and pretending to be that and living that life. And when you do that for long enough and often enough, you actually start to believe that that's what Christianity is. And you you don't even stop to think about what you're supposed to be feeling on the inside and what a Christian is actually supposed to be being led to do. Okay, So that, as I said, you can call cultural Christianity. We should be in a position as Christians where we are feeling conviction when it is that we're making choices we shouldn't make. We should be being led by the Holy Spirit. And again, that sounds like a real uh, super spiritual thing to say, but I'm going to explain everything and keep it real straightforward and basic. Not for your benefit, but for mine. It's really not complex. It's not com- there are words that sound all big and convoluted, and I will tell you this, there are some people who teach in such a way as to make themselves sound superior. That's not our objective here. If you leave here confused, I haven't done my job properly. And please, if you leave here confused, come back and speak to me again, or email me, or, or something. If there's anything I say tonight that I don't make clear to you, because that's not your fault, that's my fault, Okay. So, the topic of sanctification, I believe, is one that is really uh, very much misunderstood okay, by a lot of people. And at best, I believe there are a lot of people who will have questions about it. And the important and the key thing is this. Any misunderstanding about the walk of a Christian, any misunderstanding that you might have on what it means to be a Christian, is going to slow you down from being a Christian. If you are unsure about something, you're going to be a lot more nervous about it. You're going to be tentative. You're not going to go full on in. You're not going to be fulfilling your purpose with a passion, which is what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to be fulfilling as, uh, with passion. So hopefully I'm going to clarify a few things for a few people tonight. So let's start off with the definition of sanctification. What does the word sanctification mean? All right, the two definitions here that I want to focus on. The first one is this, to make holy. To set apart as sacred and to consecrate. Okay? The second definition is to purify or free 
from sin. So it's firstly to make holy, set apart as sacred or consecrate, and secondly, purify or free from sin. Now these definitions describe sanctification, but they are each separate from the other. Let me explain what I mean, because this is where confusion can very easily happen. When we use the word sanctification, and when you hear the word sanctification or read the word sanctification, it can mean different things. It's the same word, but it can mean different things, depending on what the context is. All right? So sanctification comes in two ways to us as Christians. Two kinds of sanctification, if you like. There is what's called positional sanctification. Positional sanctification, and then there is what's known as progressive sanctification. And again, don't worry, I'm going to go through these in detail, okay? I'm going to describe them both, I'm going to show you what the differences are, and what the differences mean to you as a Christian. Alright, so stay with me, because I genuinely believe that this is going to be exciting for some, because it's going to answer some questions that you may have had. Now, many people look at their Christianity as a series of choices, As a Christian, you may wake up in the morning and make decisions. You may see it as a a choice issue. It might be along the lines of waking up one morning and thinking, right, well, I'm going to wake up this morning and I'm going to decide today whether or not I'm going to fulfill the good desires I have or I'm going to fulfill the bad desires I have. So you're going to make a choice at the start of each day. Think of it, imagine it, as your home computer. Okay, so your computer at home. Imagine on your computer you have multiple accounts. Okay, when you first log on, you've got several accounts which are on there that you can log into. Okay, you've got one uh, which is going to have certain backgrounds, certain applications, certain collections of selfies. Okay, that's one account. And then you have another account on there that you can also log into. And that's how a lot of people look upon their Christianity. They will choose which account they're going to log into at the start of each day. So on a Sunday, it's Sunday morning. So on a Sunday morning, I need more church today, I need more Bible today, I need more patience today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to log into my I'm going to church account, okay, and I'm going to be this person today. I'm going to make these choices today. I am going to be patient. I'm not going to curse somebody out when they cut across me in the car park at church. I am going to be that person. And I'm going to leave this account alone until I feel like logging back into that again and being less patient. With people, okay, and, and not deciding to actually read my Bible. All right, so you've got two user accounts on. And that's how people view Christianity sometimes. That is not at all how Christianity is. Look at this scripture, Titus 3, 4 to 6. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this is what happens at the point of salvation. God washes away our sins. He washes away our sins at the point of salvation. So let's take that computer that we were just talking about. At the point of salvation, it's like taking the computer and giving it a hard reset. It's like we're zapping it. And we're removing and erasing all of the software from that computer. All the selfies, all the apps, everything. All of the operating system even. Everything completely clean. Clean. That's how God sees us when we accept Christ as our Lord and Saviour. He sees us as clean. At that point, he sets us apart. God sets us apart. He sets us apart as sacred. 
He sets us apart as sacred at that point when we give our lives to Christ. At that point, you can say, I am consecrated, which means set apart. Okay? I'm justified, which means clean. It means righteous in God's eyes. Okay? Look at how it's described in the book of Romans. Long scripture, but bear with this, okay? But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. In other words, it's nothing to do with us. We don't have to do anything. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone who has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. To be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This, that, is positional sanctification. We are all in the position of being justified and sanctified when we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour. In that moment, we are righteous in God's eyes. We are washed clean. You are sanctified, which means you are reset. You are clean. This is an act of God. It's an act of God only. He sanctifies us positionally. In other words, he takes you from where you're at and calls you sanctified. He sanctifies us positionally. In other words, he sets us apart. He takes you out of the crowd and he sets you apart. He sets you apart. Now, the important thing here is it's only God. It's nothing that we did. It's nothing that we can do. It's God only. And this is known as what's called a monogistic event. In other words, mono one. It's God only. God only does it. God can only do that. Okay? He declares us righteous in his eyes. He declares us as holding a position which is holy, set apart for his use. Okay? Look at this scripture, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, saved, past tense, done deal, through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And what is that truth? The truth is that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again to give you life. Look at this, Hebrews 10.10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. Jesus died on the cross, that was it. That was it. It's a done deal. He chose you, he saved you, he sanctified you. So now we've been washed clean and we've been given the Holy Spirit within us. All right, so our computer has been given new software. There's no more multiple accounts. There's no more two accounts to choose from. No more good cop, bad cop. No more uh, angel on one shoulder, demon on the other. There is nothing of that nature. We are clean. We have the Holy Spirit within us. So surely then, if that's the case, we would have a whole lot more perfect people walking around. 
If we've just got that, we haven't got those things on our shoulders anymore, there'll be a whole lot more perfect people. Now, you know that that's not the case. Okay? Look at the person next to you. You know that that's not the case. Look in a mirror. You know that that's not the case. None of us are perfect. So what's the problem? We've got new software, right? So if we have new software, then how come we're not completely perfect? Well, you might be thinking of a brand new computer, but we are not a brand new computer, all right? It's the same. It's just with new software. If you take an old computer, an eight-year-old computer, and you put the most up-to-date, top-of-the-line, top-of-the-range software in it, it's not going to work perfectly. It will not work perfectly if you take an old computer and you put in new software. And why is that? Well, it's going to work, but it might work slowly. And it's going to work, but occasionally it's going to have a glitch. Occasionally it's not going to do exactly what it's supposed to do. And the reason for that is this. With a computer, there is more than just hardware and software. There's also what's called firmware. And firmware is the programming which is encoded and embedded into the hardware which tells it how to react to the software. And that is called firmware. Why? Because it's firm. You can't do anything about it. You can't remove it. You can't change it. So if you put in brand new software into an eight-year-old computer, there's going to be the occasional argument. There's going to be the occasional battle. When you are telling the computer to do one thing with the software, the firmware is going to say, hang on a second. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to do, to do this. What you're telling me to do that, that doesn't sit right with my firmware. That's what your computer is going to do, which is why it's not always a good thing to actually upgrade the newest software onto an old computer because the firmware won't allow you to operate the way you would like it to. Now, continuing this analogy, think of it the same way from our point of view. This is what happens to us when we're saved, we are born again on the inside. We're born again on the inside. We are the same as we were on the outside. Our hardware is exactly the same. Our software is completely clean and replaced and updated to the newest, most powerful version available, the Holy Spirit. That's our new software. But the hardware is the same. Now, the hardware is our flesh. But when the Bible speaks of the flesh, it doesn't mean the meat and the bones on us. It doesn't mean that our fleshly desires, as it speaks of in the Bible, it doesn't mean the things that we have to do in order to sustain ourselves. It doesn't mean the urges we have to eat or to drink. When it talks about fleshly desires, what the Bible is referring to is our firmware. It's our selfish desires. It's our sin nature, which has not been removed because that's in our firmware. You're with me so far? So when the new software comes in and a new creation is on the inside, but we still have the old hardware and the old firmware, it means that we will have times when our firmware is battling with the software. There's going to be a battle going on between what the Holy Spirit is trying to make us do, but what we in the flesh want to do. So we're going to still have those desires. We're still going to have those temptations. The Holy Spirit, yes, is within us. And I want this to be an encouragement for somebody. Because somebody sat here tonight is thinking every time they get tempted by something that they were tempted by before they were saved, they are questioning, am I saved? How am I saved and still feeling these temptations? How am I still getting angry when somebody cuts across me in the traffic? How do I still have a desire for cigarettes? 
All of these things, it's because it's in your firmware. And that's why we do not become perfect when we are saved. We do not become perfect when we are saved. And that is why we will never, ever be perfect. That's why we still have battles with things sometimes. That's why some people who come in addicted become saved. They remain addicted. So next time you see somebody who's addicted who claims to be saved, don't judge them and think, well, you can't be. Because they can be. But they will still be carrying some things that are hardwired into their firmware. Okay? But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. So that's why, as I said, every temptation is not actually removed. Now, I'm not saying that to make an excuse for anything that we do, that we may do in the flesh. It's not to say uh, that wrong things are the right things. Okay? It's not to that. Because if nothing is fighting against you making the wrong choices... If your old software is still completely running the show all of the time and you are never feeling convicted of it, get this. Maybe the software didn't get changed. Maybe the software didn't get changed. Now that sounds harsh, but that's the the reality. If you are never ever convicted, if you are living a life which you know through what you've learned and what you've read to be completely ungodly. If you are living a completely ungodly life and you are not being convicted by the Holy Spirit, if you are not, your new software is not battling with your firmware, then the chances are you may not have the new software. Okay? And that's between you and God. That's for you to decide and that's for you to pray hard about and that's for you to establish. And I'm saying that because statistically there are people in this room right now who are not saved. That's the, that's the reality of it. The software hasn't necessarily been changed. But again, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. All right, so what are we saying? Are we saying that once we're saved, that's it? Am I saying to you, once you're saved, you're stuck with whatever you got left with? You get saved and then you think, well, hang on, my firmware, I, I still need a cigarette. Am I stuck with... No, you're not stuck with that. That's not what I'm saying. All right? And that's a good thing, because as I said, I don't want anybody to feel condemned or, or convicted. What I'm trying to do is encourage people who are still feeling those things. I'm, I'm letting you know, you're not supposed to be perfect. There's every chance that you might still be asking, as I said, am I actually sane? All right? And if there's one thing that's going to stop you from fulfilling your purpose, it's you feeling unworthy, or worse still, questioning your actual salvation. Questioning which team you're on, so to speak. So when you're actually asked to serve in this church, when we come to you and we say, we need your help with this, you may be still struggling with a temptation. You may still be struggling in a certain area of your life. And you may be thinking, well, I can't possibly because I'm not perfect. I can't possibly help the church because I'm not as godly as I should be. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Because we're all in the same boat. So hopefully, that's clear as to what positional sanctification is. And when it happens, it's a one-time deal. You cannot ever be more or less positionally sanctified, more or less holy in God's eyes, than the moment you are saved. You are set apart at that point, period. Okay? So what happens next? Progressive sanctification. Sometimes it's called practical sanctification. All right? And remember the second part of that definition of sanctification is to purify or free from sin. Purify or free from sin. Well, this is where the work comes in. Work? What, 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 what do you mean work? Yes, work. 
Does work involve with this? And let me make something completely clear to you. When it comes to your sanctification, in other words, being set apart from sin, it's going to require personal effort. It's going to require personal effort. And remember, this has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not. You're not working towards being saved and being seen as holy by God. That's already been done. Positional sanctification is taken care of. And I hope you're getting this because this is the important part of the message. Positional sanctification is done the minute you give your life to Christ. Progressive sanctification is afterwards, and that's where you're separating yourself from sin. Okay? So what we're talking about is moving forward through the rest of your life and actually doing that, setting yourself aside from sin. And that's going to take effort. It's going to take your effort. Okay? However, progressive sanctification is what's called synergistic, which means it's two of. It's not monogistic like God doing it all. It's synergistic, which means you and God. Working together in your life, okay? It means that you and God, you and the Holy Spirit are going to move forward through your progressive sanctification. Now, the best things in life are not free. The best things in life require effort. And your separation from sin is exactly like that. Your separation from sin is exactly like that. How do we know that? Well, we're told so if in the Bible. If I said to you right now, okay, part of this message, what we're all going to do now is get up and go run for two miles. Okay, there'd be one or two of you that go, come on then, Pete, let's go. But the rest of you are like, whoa. Okay, now that sounds like hard work, right? If you're running, it's effort. It takes effort. Look at what Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you realize that a race, in a race, everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. What do they do? They train and they train. They sacrifice. They give up some foods here, some foods there. They get up at silly hour in the morning. They do what it is that's necessary to do in order for them to get physically fit, in order that they can go and do what it is that they want to do. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it, we meaning Christians, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. He's running. I'm not just shadow boxing. He's putting in effort. He's putting in effort. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. What does he mean? He's like, I'm in the mix with all of you. That's how we are here. We're in the mix with all of you. We're battling. We're fighting. We are working. We are working. Okay. Corinthians 15:58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And this is an encouragement for the church of Corinth. Keep working. That's That's what Paul is saying. Keep working. He wouldn't say that unless you needed to do the work. Okay? He doesn't say kick back and enjoy and bask in the fuzzy glory of Jesus Christ. He says work. He says work. Okay? Because until your work is done... Look at this, Philippians 2.12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Show the results of your salvation. You were saved, now prove it by what it is that you're doing. Prove it by what it is that you're doing. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Deep reverence and fear. Some translations say fear and trembling. That's how we're supposed to approach God's work. With fear and trembling. Okay, not afraid of him, but with absolute respect and awe. Work hard, is what he's saying. And being a Christian requires work. But here's the good news. You're not going to do it on your own. Philippians 2.13, the next verse, the next verse. 
He's telling you that you've got to do your work. And then in the next verse he says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He is working in you. So this is where the synergy comes. You do your part. The Holy Spirit does his part. But you do you put your part. It's not just about, as I said, kicking back and let the Holy Spirit do all the work. So this is the key. There are some Christians that believe that God has done all the work. God will do all the work. And thanks to his grace and mercy, there's no effort required on our part. They think that being a Christian is all about the love and the clouds and the how pretty is this and how wonderful is that. God's grace has taken care of everything. God's grace has taken care of your salvation. God's grace has given you eternal life. You are forgiven when you shouldn't be, and you are blessed where you shouldn't be. That's the grace and the mercy part. But as for the rest of your life, it's going to require effort. In fact, you are not going to improve. You're not going to be better than you were last year. You're not going to sin less than you did three years ago without the Holy Spirit working within you. So it's a joint effort, as I said. And Paul sums it up in this verse. I know that we're running over time, and I'm going as quick as I can, Pastor. I'm sorry. So we tell us others about Christ. This is Colossians 1, 28, 29. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, dependent on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul is working and struggling hard. But he's also crediting the fact that the energy he's using is Christ's power inside him. He's working hard, but he's crediting God for the energy and effort that's coming from within. There is not a clearer picture than that, I believe, of God and us working together. Working together. Okay, so what is the work we're doing regarding our sanctification? Well, as we know, part of the sanctification, this part, is the purifying and the freeing from sin. We are not looking for perfection or striving for perfection because we will never, ever reach it. And if you have a Christian tell you that they are sin-free, I didn't, I didn't sin today. Okay, well, yeah, there you go. Okay, we're not aiming for that. We're not aiming for perfection. We're not striving for it. None of us are striving for that. So that's not a goal that you're aiming for. We are looking to improve. We are looking to become more Christ-like. Okay, we're more Christ-like. All right. Okay, so what we're trying to achieve is what you might call an upward trajectory. An upward trajectory. What does that mean? It means that we should always be on this journey upward. It's not a straight climb, though. It's going to have ups and it's going to have downs. It's going to have ups and we're going to have great days where, you know, for, for several days on the bounce, we don't do anything that we're aware of that we, we did wrong. And then we're going to have periods where we can't really do anything right, where we're really battling with our firmware. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall off the track. Okay? And again, that's, I'm not condoning that, but it's the reality. That's going to happen. All right? But what you need to be able to do is, uh, over the longer run, look in history and say, am I better than I was? You need to be able to say, two years ago, am I closer to God today than I was two years ago? Do I sin less now than I did five years ago? On Friday afternoon, I might sin twice, but you know, six months ago, I would have sinned five times. Okay? That's, so, I mean, from that point, you are now on an upward trajectory. Okay? Is your walk in a better place than it was this time last year? Two years before that, you pick the time frame. But you should be able to look in history and know that you are better today than you were then. And a year from now, you should be able to look back at today and say, I'm better than I was back then. Okay, 
uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. So do so even more. Improve. Do better. Get better is what it's looking for. Okay. So we need to be on an upward tra- trajectory. How do we do that? How does God help us with that? I'm going to give you very quickly six ways that we can continue on this upward trajectory. Okay, the first thing, we read the word. We read the word. Psalm 119.9 says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. We're taught and guided by his word. Everything we need to know on how to behave is in the word. So we need to be reading that word and be guided and taught by it. Number two, we pray. That's no surprise to anybody. We pray. We need to continually pray for guidance and for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. There's nothing more powerful than the Holy Spirit working in your life and working inside of you. You know, we should all be praying regularly for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. I I don't just want a gentle whisper from the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to beat you up over the head. Sometimes I wish he would. I don't need a whisper. Sometimes I want him just to slap me upside the face if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Okay? Uh, Jude 1.20. Or by praying. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You're going to improve. You're going to become more sanctified. You are going to become more holy by praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, we correct and we direct each other. We correct and direct each other as a church family. We need to do this. We're called to do it. There are several scriptures. I'm not going to throw them all at you. But we need to do it in love. And we need to do it through love. But we do need to be correcting and directing each other. Don't do it to somebody that you don't know. Don't judge somebody and just say you shouldn't be doing that, you know, as a Christian. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about connecting with people, developing relationships with each other, with a handful of people, with developing relationships so that you feel comfortable enough with them so that A, they can see when you're doing something which you shouldn't necessarily be doing, and secondly, where they will be able to tell you when you are doing something that you shouldn't necessarily be doing. And we all do stuff that we shouldn't be doing. So we all need somebody to actually set us straight and correct us. I have the absolute honour and privilege of having accountability partners, Pastor Alan, Pastor Philip. You know, I I mean, I'm not going to take a single inch step out of place without being corrected, without being straightened up. And that's because they love me. No other reason than that. And they want the very, very best for me. And you need people in your life like that. Hebrews 3.13, you must warn each other every day while it is still today. If you see somebody that you know and you love doing something they shouldn't be doing, don't think about, shall I say something to them? It says they're quite clearly, do it today so that no one will be, none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Don't let them leave you. Don't, if you're, it's laid on your heart to speak to them, then you have to be obedient and you speak to them through love, with love. And if you don't want to do it, then let us know and we'll do it on your behalf. But they need to be, it needs to happen today and before they get hardened and get in that routine. Number four, we encourage each other. Relationships with each other, as I said, is not just about correction, it's about encouragement. We need to realise that we are all in this together and we need to help each other. The moment that we know, firstly, we are all sinners and we're all on this journey. I am on this journey. That's the first step for me. The second thing is, is it's for me to... Accept fully that you are all on this journey as well. That's 
So I'm not going to judge one of you for doing this, one of you for doing the other, and one of you doing for the, something else. I know that all of you are doing something. So if we're all in this together, as a church family, what a powerful, powerful thought that is. If we, none of us, if we're all looking out for each other's backs instead of sticking knives in them. How powerful, how powerful would that be? All right, so Hebrews 10.24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. He's, Paul's, it, it, it's, not, it's not Paul, the writer of Hebrews is actually saying to us then, think of things, come up with ways to motivate each other, to help each other, to do the work of the Lord. Don't hold somebody back because you want to do what it is that they want to do. Don't think, well, I'm better than they are, so I'm going to come to pastor first. I'm going to you know, throw them under the bus so that I get the opportunity to do that. No, you encourage them to do it. Because God is going to promote character. He is going to see that. And we're here as a team. I don't care which one of you leads somebody to this church so that they can actually lead, lead, get led to Christ. Any of you. I don't care who does it. Just somebody do it. Just somebody do it. Number five, being disciplined by God. I'm getting there. This is not the most fun of topics, but it's essential as Christians. We must expect, you must expect that when we are acting consistently outside of God's will, there will be consequences. You have to expect that. Hebrews 12.10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Share in his holiness. That's that whole sanctification thing again. He will set us straight. We will become more holy. It's part of the sanctification. When we stray outside of God's will, or more importantly, when we rebel against God's will, he will discipline us. And many times by simply allowing the consequences to happen of what it is that we actually did. Now having these things happen when we do things wrong is a hugely positive thing. Because the alternative is this. God doesn't punish you. And if God doesn't punish you when you're living outside of God's will, it means you're not one of his children. And that's biblical. So again, you should welcome being disciplined and straightened and corrected. Last one. Painful trials. Painful trials. Now, what does that mean? Didn't we just cover that with the discipline? No, that's a different thing entirely. I'm talking about here when things go bad when you're doing good. I'm talking about when you are actually walking in God's will. When you are bearing fruit. When you're bearing fruit. Now, what does it talk talk about? What does Jesus talk about? What does he do to, to the vine that's bearing fruit? What does he do to it? He prunes it. It's giving fruit, but he cuts it back. Why? So that it can give even more. And that's what God will do sometimes in your life. If something bad happens in your life, don't sit there and question, well, what did I do wrong, God? What am I being punished for? You may be doing everything spot on, but it's just a time for pruning. And what does that do? These trials, what do they do? They make you stronger. They give you experience. They give you a testimony. They give you something that you can encourage somebody else with. They give you the words, I know how you feel. When somebody comes to you who's going through the same thing. It's the most powerful, powerful thing. I know the most powerful things in my life have been the worst times in my life. They are the things which have helped me the most to help other people. Things are great when they're going great, don't get me wrong. But when things don't go so well, that's when you're becoming more equipped. 
James 1, 2, 3, 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. It's a phrase, it's a scripture that we all know, that we all use, that we all throw out there as a throwaway comment when things are going bad. But take it for what it is. It's a positive thing when bad things are happening in your life. It gives you the opportunity and it's a key part of our sanctification. That's it. So those six things there in our lives are what is going to help us with our sanctification. So I want you to be encouraged. Where you are right now is simply where you are right now. That's where you're at right now. Sanctification is a journey. So I don't want anybody here to be sat in self-condemnation. I don't want anybody here to be thinking, well, yeah, Pete, but you don't know what I'm doing. I don't care what you're doing. Because it's all the same in God's eyes anyway. It all makes no difference. What I'm saying is it's a journey. It's a process. So move forward. Understand that it is going to take effort on your part. It is going to take effort, but it's effort that's going to take the rest of your life, but it's effort that it's worth it. You're never going to reach perfection. You're not supposed to. So just know in times when it feels like hard work, it's okay. It's supposed to be hard work sometimes. It's supposed to be, but ultimately, it's absolutely worth it. The harder we work at setting ourselves apart from sin, the more equipped we become. And the more equipped we are, the more we can be used by God to fulfill our purpose. Amen? You'd all bow your heads where you are right now, if you would. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you so much. We thank you for who it is that you are, Lord. We thank you for... Your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. We thank you for salvation, but we also, Lord, thank you for sanctification. We thank you for the fact that at that moment, you set us apart, Lord God. You see us as righteous, as holy, and we thank you for that. Lord God, I pray over every person here and pray that you would just use the Holy Spirit within their lives, Lord. I pray that you would give them guidance right here, right now, Father God, that you would show them the areas of their life where they would need help, where they need your assistance. I pray that you would highlight these areas. Convict those people in this room that need to be convicted right now, Father God. I pray that each and every one of us can develop relationships with each other where we can correct each other, guide each other, help each other through this process of growth, Lord. And ultimately, I just pray that each and every person here can just become more like Christ. It's what we desire. It's what we hope for and what we burn inside for, Lord God. We love you. We give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can all just keep your head bowed for me. Just If there's anybody in this room tonight, anybody under the sound of my voice right now that hasn't yet had that relationship with Christ, who doesn't know 100% that they have given their life to Christ, then please just raise your hand for me right now because we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We want to just give you prayer. Nice and high if you would. Lift your hand up nice and high. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hands down for me. Let's all just pray this prayer. Let's just pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your Son. And Jesus, I confess now I am a sinner. And I know that you died for me to pay for my sins, that you rose again to give me life. And I accept you now as my Lord and Savior forevermore. Change me from the inside out. Sanctify me from the inside out. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, God.
would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Master, Savior, I just